This is A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And I am Seth Haynes. Seth, what was in that cup you were just drinking from? Well, by my intro, you'd think that it was something that made me a little bit crazy. But uh, I just like to mix up the intros a little bit. Um, It's just coffee from my favorite purveyor of coffee. Yeah. Hail fellow, well met. Nice. nice. Downstairs. I actually, I was downstairs this morning and because um, I start my mornings down there and they actually mm-hmm. were doing this little like training in this open area where I like to sit and drink my coffee and um, the the owner, one of the owners, it's a husband, wife mm-hmm. couple, Andrea, was talking about, um, yes, I was eavesdropping. She was talking about hospitality mm-hmm. and how... Um, a, the hospitable nature of any given establishment both creates a sense of welcome to the customer and makes the life of the um, the one providing the hospitality much easier, hmm. which was something I had never thought of. But if you know the person's name, if you understand their order, if you help them understand the first time they come in what the options are, then they don't ask as many questions later on and they feel more comfortable and it's a better experience for everyone. And I thought, what a great way of looking at hospitality. So That's cool. anyway, all that to say, it's a little, it's a little note for our listeners uh, <laughs> to say there are people in the world who are doing hospitality in an excellent manner and you should support those people. That's cool. I like that. All right. Yeah. So uh, what are you drinking? The same, uh, also black coffee. This time I'm drinking. So this past weekend we had what's called Poppy Fest in our little small town. Since I live, wow, in, I know I live in the historic area, and so it's right. It's like three blocks away, the square, and thousands and thousands of people come in, and there's all sorts of booze, all sorts of local businesses, which is very fun. And so there's a new coffee shop starting, I think, on the other side of Georgetown, nowhere near walking distance to me, but uh, on the other side of town they had a booth. So I decided we'll try okay. one of their bags of beans. And so far, it's lovely. So go. Okay. What's the name of the purveyor? Seven Oaks Coffee, established okay. in Georgetown, Texas. And it's the Lone Star Blend because Texas. There you go. Oh, because Texas. Yeah. Of course. And it's good. I like it. Uh, Would recommend. Awesome. Okay. All right. What are the uh, What are the tasting notes? Well, it tells me that it is chocolate met with hints of blueberry, caramel, and spices. And I am not entirely convinced I can taste the blueberry and caramel, but I do taste the chocolate, and that's fine. It works. It's, you know, it's like your good morning coffee. It's fine. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations to them on providing something that you like to drink. There you go. Well, Seth, a few weeks ago, gosh, a month ago maybe now, at the time of this recording, you and I talked about a conversation that we've had ongoing for – a year plus now, and that's on our wild, wacky adult conversion stories, um, mm-hmm. mostly mm-hmm. just out of interest from our listeners. Like whenever we look at our stats, these are our highest listened episodes. So people are curious about why we became Catholic um, as adults after being lifelong Protestants. So it's your turn to continue your saga um, where you last left off. So where do you want to begin? Well, first, I'd like to begin with saying isn't the curiosity really why we became heretics after lifelong? <laughs> Probably. <stints in> the- <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, I just say that in jest. All you people who know me well enough know that's a joke. Um, 
Yeah. So I think where we left off, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think where we left off last was Amber and I had sort of made our way into the Anglican church. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were sort of at the precipice of a decision. She was in the ordination process. Um, and we were sort of getting tired and kind of on our way out. Is that accurate? Rings a bell. It's been quite a while since either okay. of our part ones. So honestly, a listener yeah. could re-listen to that and then continue. And whatever you say is probably interesting. <laughs> That's what we're going to assume. Yeah. That's where we were. So I think I may have shared in the last episode, and if I didn't, this will serve as like sort of the uh, Battlestar Galactica on the last episode. Previously uh, you know, on sort of thing. A Drink With A Friend. Yeah, previously on Battlestar Galactica. Um <laughs> Except for this was on a drink with a friend. You're right. Um, so, so previously, I think I shared previously that I I had um, already decided that that you know as much as as the Anglican Church was sort of an entree to this idea of sacramentality, um, there was just something about it that just still existed in the realm of ideas, mm-hmm. right? And it was still like this idea, and we were working with a priest that that. You know, it was just a really bad situation for for both of us at the time in the Anglican Church, and so um, I had decided in the uh, 2018-2019 season, um, September of 2018, I had decided to go through RCIA, and I made it all the way through. RCIA, all the way to the week before the Easter Vigil. Which, just for the listeners who don't know, that's Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. It's like basically the classes you take before becoming Catholic. Yes, that's okay. right. That's right. So I had made it all the way through um, and I was was on the precipice of entering the church. And, um, you know, I had decided that Amber was in the ordination process. She was going on to be an Anglican priest. And I had decided that perhaps we could sort of split the baby and she could uh, be Anglican and I could be Catholic and I could still, you know, when she was ordained, I could still take the Eucharist from her and blah, 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 because, you know, we were married and yada, yada. And so I went to go have this very long conversation with uh, the priest about this idea. And he, he was very good. And he said to me, um, after listening to my whole story, he said to me, well, listen, you know, the truth is, um, this feels like disunity in your marriage. Mm. And so in my, uh, uh, my advice to you would be that there are uh, times when um, there are things that are more important than being Catholic today. Mm. And one of those times is when there's going to be any sort of disunity in the marriage. Marriage was your first vow. And so what I would suggest is that you just put, put your, uh, confirmation on hold in the Catholic church and wait for your wife. <laughs> and he said, you know, if we need to revisit this later, like we can, like you've gone through the whole class, so you can be confirmed at any point. But for now, I think we need to put it on hold and wait for your wife. And I left thinking, there's no way. Yeah. Like this was Easter of 2019. And I thought, there's, there's absolutely no way she's ever going to become Catholic. She's on her way to ordination in the Anglican church. And, um, you know, what, what is he thinking? This is terrible advice. Also, he's a priest. Can he actually say there are things that are more important than becoming <laughs> right. Catholic? Right. Like you're not supposed to say that, right? So anyway, long story short, um, I 
it followed his advice. I thought like this squirrely dude doesn't know what he's talking about, but whatever, I'm going to follow his advice. And, and literally that very next Sunday, Amber, who ha- had been going through her own discernment process about whether or not she was going to remain in the Anglican ordination process, uh, said, yeah, I'm out. I'm not doing this. I'm not becoming ordained in the Anglican church. And there were a lot of reasons for that. And, and all of the reasons for that are sort of the subject of a upcoming book that we have. So I don't want right. to get into all that right now. But what I will say is the problem that we were experiencing in that particular branch of Anglicanism was that everything sort of existed in the realm of ideas. And in addition to that, some of those ideas felt very abusive to women. Mm. And some of those ideas felt very abusive to Amber. Mm-hmm. And particularly, um, the priest was talking about sexuality and the working relationship between men and women in ways that were just really, um, you know, if you were a woman would have felt very off. Yeah. And, and so by, but by the same token, you know, like he is her pathway to ordination. And so, it's like you have to kind of go along with this to get along with this if you're going to be ordained. Well, by Easter, she had decided she had had enough and she was not going to be ordained. And she pulled out. And it was a much longer process of actually like pulling out of the church. But that would have been what? What is Easter? April? It's probably <laughs> usually, like, you know, early April. Yeah. Yeah. So that would have been in April. And, um, it would take us another probably two to three months to fully pull out of the church and primarily because I was still leading worship. And then it would take another two to three months for us to explain an outline to the church. Like, here's what we saw. Here's what happened. Here's what was negative about it. And, mm-hmm. um, and so at that point we were fully non-Anglican. So uh, the common thread that you and I share in our journey is that we were Anglican for about five years as well. Same diocese or same branch, same diocese, actually. Yeah. Um, As you guys. And I am intrigued by, uh, we did not have that experience. So I will say that the Mm -hmm. the experience that Amber experience was good, right? I had, we had a great experience and we still miss the people dearly. Um, and we're still friends with most of those people. So it was yeah. not, we parted on good terms. However, I am intrigued where you say it was mostly ideas. Can you unpack a little bit mm. more of that? Cause I'll bet you someone listening, thinking, um, say more things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- there, I could be very specific. I, I don't, I don't want to be very specific again, because a, this is the subject of a book that we've right. thought through very carefully. I'm very careful not to speak too extemporaneously on this because yeah. it was a pretty dark season and I like to be careful and choiceful in my words, but, but here's an example. An example would be, we need to care for the poor. We need to care for the marginalized we need to do something for those who may have special needs. And uh, there was a season in which that conversation was being had over and over and over and over again, and Mm. nothing was being done. done. Opportunities were presented. They were not acted upon. Mm. Um, Hey, you know, start this program for people with special needs and it would take four months, five months of conversation just to get to the door of that thing when all you really had to do is open the door and walk through. Like, 
the call of Jesus to embody the gospel is very simple, right? Um, there were moments where we talked a whole lot about women in ministry and how that should look a certain way, how it should look egalitarian and how it should feel as co-equals. And yet when it came to implement those ways of being, it was not co-equals. It was not complementarian. It was still very much the woman doing the woman work and me being the thought leader, you know, as the, as the man. Um, it, there were times where we talked a whole lot about racial diversity and, and, you know, obviously we were in the middle of some very um, m- major moments in American history with uh, white, uh, black violence. And, and we would talk a lot about that. And yet there were no be the bridge groups and yet there were no conversations had with the black church. Right. It was just, like, frankly, a whole lot of virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. Like, we're on the right side of the issue because we think the right things, but there was never any embodiment of those things. Okay. So that's what I mean is, like, when you say with your mouth things that are important to you, but you can't seem to embody those things, then there's actually a disconnect in, like, what you say and what you believe. Gotcha. Right? And I still experience that disconnect in my own life. I'm not saying I'm perfect in that way, but as a church body, those should be things that you should pretty easily be able to tend to. So for instance, you know, in Lent every year in the Catholic church, right? Um, every parish that I know of has that little rice bowl thing, (laughs) right? Where it's like, Hey, this is Lent, give up something and also take your spare change every day and throw it in this rice bowl. And at the end, we're all going to bring it together and we're going to feed the hungry, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very simple thing. Um, I don't, who knows how much money it raises? I don't, I'm sure there's a stat out there somewhere, but it's a very simple thing and it's a very simple way to embody the idea of caring for the poor. Yeah. Um, there was zero of that in okay. our, in gotcha. our church group, if that makes sense. It does. I will say, uh, for a listener who's curious, the Anglican parish we went to actually did a pretty good job of social engagement, but it still felt like ideas and maybe it was a different type of ideas. So we can maybe unpack that at another mm-hmm. time. So um, yeah, it's interesting yeah. that those are the ideas that you mean and maybe not so much ide- ideas that I came across. So your yeah. mileage may vary yeah, depending it, on where you're at. <laughs> totally. Your mileage may vary yeah. and, and your mileage may vary de- depending on what branch of the church are in. Yeah. Um, this is a conversation that my Mennonite friends and, and frankly, my Church of Christ friends uh, look at me and they're like, what are you guys talking about? We serve our guts out. Um, <laughs> but 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 I will say like in my evangelical, in evangelical experience, it was mostly about what you thought. Yeah. Right. And if you could think the right things, then you were assured of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thought really was more important than than action. Yeah. Um, well, other than action sexually or action in the voter booth, those two things were super important. Sure. All right. But otherwise it was ideas. So, so, so I get therefore how you wanted to leave that kind of cult of ideas, uh, or mostly ideas, but what was it? And maybe there's a question for Amber. You were already sold on the Catholic church. What was it then? Therefore it's like, okay, then let's go here instead. Well, that's a great question. So I had always seen, and part part of this is the influence of my dad. My dad and I have had a, just a really interesting relationship as we've, uh, throughout my childhood and throughout my teenage years, um, we've gotten a lot closer, I think, in these last handful of years, probably last 10 years. Um, 
And since he retired, so the last five years, um, he is the embodiment of this. He is the perf- perfect embodiment of what I'm about to say. Hmm. So when he retired, he, um, you know, he had a thankless job for years. He grinded uh, through those thankless uh, years, um, you know, got to his retirement age and then decided, you know what, I'm ready to be happy. And here's how he has found happiness. He returned back to the Catholic church, which is, he became Catholic when I was in the fourth grade. He like committed himself to that. Um, I don't know if it's daily mass, but it's pretty close. He spends the majority of his time either as a chaplain in the hospital um, or serving at a home, local homeless shelter. He's lately been, you know, uh, allowed to, to, as a Eucharistic minister of the hospital. So he brings the Eucharist to, to, to people in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just serves. He just serves and serves and serves and serves. He like puts in his body the things that he says he believes. Mm. Um, and so, and, and it's not just my dad. He's a representation of that, but. I've known so many men and women over the course of my life who have like embodied that and they have been, a lot of them have been Catholic. And the first versions of that that I saw were Catholic. Um, And it's because, you know, again, if you've heard a Catholic say this once, you've heard it a thousand times, matter matters Mm -hmm. or bodies matter. Right. Um, What we do says a lot about what we believe. So for us in particular, it wasn't necessarily about, moving straight into that. But, but it was about saying like, we believe matter matters and bodies matter. We -hmm. believe in sacramental theology. We believe that all things were given, were given to us, were created for us uh, to be used for their purpose and to the greater glory of God. Right. So when we left, we didn't really know what we were going to do, but we knew we had to go to a sacramental church. And so our first run was at a local Episcopal church. We really love the people there, great people. Again, the first run was because I didn't think Amber would go to the Catholic church. Yeah. And so that's where we went. And and it was a it was good. It was a fine Sunday. Um, it did not excite me in any way, shape, or form to be going there. Although, again, great church, great minister there. Um, and it was just a touch too political and it was just mm-hmm. a touch too political the other way. You know right. what I mean? Like yep. I don't go to church for my politics. That's, that's not what I need there. Um, which is a whole different conversation that we can have about modern Catholicism on another show, but I don't go to church for my politics. Um, I go to church for spiritual nourishment. And so we both left and Amber was just like, yeah, that, that wasn't it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sort of capitulated and said, I'll go with you to St. Joe's next week. Um, <laughs> and so that's what, so that's what we did. And, and I don't know that I'm remembering this story exactly right. Um, but it, in my mind, I think I've romanticized this story a little bit, but the next Sunday we found ourselves in church and there's this priest who is from France Um and I don't know if he also has a speech impediment or if it's just English is his second language, but he's very, very hard to understand. Um, but every time he ever gave a homily or a sermon, it was like super impactful. It's one of those things where you're like, I have no idea what you're saying. And yet, like, I feel like I have the gift of interpretation of tongues because <laughs> I'm incredibly moved every time you open your mouth. Yeah. And he kind of gave this sermon that was very – 
it was very mission missionary oriented almost as if he was a missionary priest to us, the middle-class white people. Mm -hmm. And he said something to the extent of, you know, uh, you, you, I I listened to the confessions that you guys give uh, men in particular, you shade around what you actually did or what you're actually doing. You're not forthcoming. I have to draw things out of you. You're not leading in your homes. You're not praying and you're not studying your scriptures. And so I want you to all stand up. Oh, we were like, oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So all the men stood up. And in that moment, he prayed for authenticity, for the spirit, that we would be leaders, blah, blah, blah. And um, so so he has this like little prayer moment. And of course, the whole church is supposed to be praying too. And when I sit down, I look over at Amber and uh, she's crying. And so we make our way out of the church. And I mean, I don't even think we were outside of the church when she said, yeah, I think this is my church home. And actually, right before the dismissal, you know, in different churches, they do it different ways. But right before the dismissal is the announcements, you mm-hmm. know, typically. And um, and they had announced that RCIA for the 2019-2020 year was spooling up, right? The classes were starting the following week or something. And so she said, this is the place for me, and I'm just going to go ahead and sign up for RCIA because um, I can always pull out of it if I don't want to do it. If there's some weird heresy floating around that I discover later, I don't have to do this. So um, so and then when I pushed in, I was like, like hey, wh- why, why all of a sudden? She was like, man, it was just refreshing to be in a place where the priest is actually pushing the men to take accountability for not doing what was right. Hmm. And and as you'll you'll read in our, you know, in our book in October, like that was a big theme. Like yeah. the man was not taking accountability for his actions. Um, hmm. the priest at our Anglican church was not taking accountability for his actions. And so um it was just like this really stark juxtaposition like here is a structure that allows priests to get away with things. Yeah. Again, another conversation we can have about the Catholic Church, but this here's this Anglican Church that allows this you know priest to get away with things, and then here is a priest in the Catholic Church who's saying, no, 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 we don't get away with things. Like mm-hmm. we have to own up to to our mistakes and who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she left and said, like, I know this isn't every Catholic story. I know that there are people in the Northeast who might hear this and cringe and think, you know, uh, how could I ever become? Catholic after this experience I've had in the Anglican church, it's no different here in the Catholic church, but like in this congregation, things are different and this is what I want to be a part of. And so she entered RCIA. So two thoughts that come to mind and I'm trying to decide which path to take here because I have two options. One is um, the idea of women and the treatment of women. And one is the idea of via media. Maybe I'll just hit on both and I'll see what you think. So I'm wondering how much of, um, Y'all's experience with, you know, going to the Anglican church and then trying the Episcopal church, we had the same exact experience, like, let's go here next. Uh, I think we tried the local Methodist, Lutheran. Um, In some ways, the concept of via media, which is in the Anglican tradition, the middle way felt just safer. It was like, this is almost like we kind of would jokingly call it like the Diet Coke of of church, you know, it's not the real thing, but it's, it's a taste of it. And so it yes. just kind of felt safer. Like, okay, th- we, then yeah. we don't, at least I know you don't have this issue, but then we don't have to tell our parents we're becoming Catholic, you know, right. um, that kind of thing. Right. Did y'all have some of that a little bit? 
I mean, I don't know that I don't know that either of us would put it that way. Okay. I mean, I think there is certainly a feeling that um, culturally, it would have been far easier to be Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's no shot on anyone who's listening who's Episcopalian right. at all. Right. It, it just is. It is what it is. It's, it's, it would be culturally much easier. You don't have to explain as much. You certainly don't have to explain, you know, clergy sex scandals. Um, so, so I don't know that that was really a thing for us as much as it was when you are in the presence of something that is like intensely real, that just changes your outlook Mm -hmm. on things. Mm -hmm. And we had been in a space that was, it was in a cloud, man. It was, it was in the cloud of ideas Yeah, and it was not tangible. It was not holdable. It was not tasteable. Um, You know, I think of that, uh, E.E. E. Cummings poem, I thank you God for most of this, where he talks about like, I thank you for the tangible things, um, mm-hmm. the breathing, tasting, touching. Um, and, and we didn't have that. And then when all of a sudden you experience something that is so overtly out of the realm of ideas and into the realm of the body, you're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I actually don't want a middle way anymore. Yes. The middle way, it's kind of like, um, it feels safer. Like, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking as someone who interacts online, it feels safer to just kind of be nuanced and to say the safe middle thing, but that's not interesting. And I'm not saying you become Catholic because it's interesting, but you're at least saying a thing. Like, you can't really be yes. neutral <laughs> about it yeah, in a that's way. Right. That's right. You cannot be neutral about it. So I guess my second path that I'm curious about is I can hear someone listening and this might be a thing where we just need to have Amber on so she and I can hash this out Um, where someone might be listening. Okay. I hear that you're calling like the cool thing about that parish was that it called out the men, but what about you were going to be ordained? Like what about the Catholic view of women in the church? I have a particular take on it that I really feel at peace about, but I'm curious if you guys wrestled with that. The role of women. Yeah, I mean, obviously we did. Um, and obviously I have my own thoughts about that. Um, that is seems like a – you know what you should do? You should get you and Haley and Amber Ooh. on a podcast, on a drink with a friend, mm-hmm. and the three of y'all should have a women's panel discussion yeah. about this very topic. I, I, I will say this. It, uh, from And this is from my perspective. Okay. There is a way in which you can virtue signal egalitarian, an egalitarian mindset or ethos. Women are co-equals. Women minister with us. Women, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I have my own opinions about this, but, uh, there's a way that you can signal that and still be using women, uh, not just as like a tokenizing uh, mechanism, but but using them to do all the things for you that you were using them to do before. And the only difference is you give them a collar. And, yeah. and that is not really yeah. egalitarianism. When you're tokenizing an individual, when you're using a woman to do all of the maternal work that they were already doing before they have the collar – when you're not providing them co-equal status on committees or when you're not uh, giving them co-equal status and pay, um, you're not really egalitarian. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. just not. And so don't pretend. 
<laughs> and, and this is where I do, I will say our, uh, my understanding is that our Episcopalian brothers and sisters do this better for women. <laughs> I mean, they just do. Um, so, so there was a, a disconnect between the words and the actual experience. Mm-hmm. I think, um, so now when Amber would, would, and again, talk to her about this, but when you walk into a Catholic church and you see there's Mary at the very front, yep, like a woman at the very front, always, always at the right hand of Jesus, there's Mary. Um, when you hear, uh, the stories of the apparitions or when you go into the Latina, uh, Latino community and you see, um, our Lady of Guadalupe, or uh, when you look around and see, oh, uh, a woman leads our spiritual formation yep. classes, and not just for children, like for adults, yeah. and like freaking leads it. Um, when you have spiritual directors who are mostly women, mm-hmm. um, when you look around and you say, oh, actually, this is an intense place of honor for women. Yeah. Um, they just don't serve at the front of the church. I know that rings hollow to a lot of people and it'll ring hollow to a lot of listeners. And I'm not here to get into yeah. the theology behind that. That's not my place. But but what I am saying is there is a way of appearing to be complementarian, but actually honoring women. And there is a way in which you can appear to be egalitarian and you're actually just using women. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I love your idea of having a three-way discussion with Haley Stewart and your wife. And if listeners are on board with that, let us know because we will totally do that. Um, and also, I don't know that. Can we just like sign Haley up for that? I'd yeah, yeah, we're guess. we're committing her to that. <laughs> <laughs> Haley, guess what? You're going to be on the show. Um, yeah. So I will not unpack all my thoughts here. That's best for a standalone episode. But just before we move on, I will say that I 100% agree with everything you say. And I think one of the solaces for me is it's almost like when you use the same vocabulary to, to mean two different things. In the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, the priest is not the most important person at all. Like 100%. truly right. not the most important person. So whenever you say women aren't um, called to the vocation of priesthood, that doesn't have anything to do with importance. That's not, yeah. that's simply not the role they play. If you think of all the women in the Catholic church, um, not only the present day, the vast majority of, you know, the, the cool old lady spiritual directors and, and the younger women who are legit youth ministers, like they're allowed to call themselves youth ministers and not just like that's right. youth directors or whatever, you know, real pastoring happening. Um, also throughout history, like St. Catherine of Siena telling the Pope what to do. Um, all these badass women totally. that have done amazing things throughout church history. Totally. I think the Catholic Church elevates women in a way that I had never before seen ever in my entire life as a Protestant. So I will just say that. Yeah, that's right. That it 100%, I think there's a complementarian that actually elevates women because it's recognizing the superpower that women have. So anyway. Yeah. Agreed. 100%. Yeah. So uh, well so to back up to where you guys were, you decide, okay, this is the home. Amber's going to sign up for RCIA. And I know, like, basically, if people can pull out their calendars, they'll see that you said 2019 and into 2020, um, you guys were planning to come into the church. I remember this. And then our mm-hmm. little friend COVID hit. And I mean, tell us more. Like, tell us what happened then. You as a family were going to come in. How did your kids feel? All the things. Yeah. I actually just wrote a piece about this because um, it's really fascinating me, to me. I mark a lot of this by Kobe Bryant's death. Isn't mm-hmm. that weird? 
I don't know. Not why, weird at all. But, I do too. I do too, actually, with COVID. Um, it's mm-hmm. so weird. It was like that was the beginning of the end or whatever. It was like but, Australian um, wildfires and then Kobe Bryant. And we thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be the big news of 2020. <laughs> and then COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, yeah. And yeah. then it was not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amber had a really good RCI experience, which is not everybody's nope. reality. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just ready to be Catholic. This, why do I have to go through this class? And yeah. These people aren't talking and we're not studying the Bible and blah, blah, blah. But hers was like really formative. She actually had, I think, I think she actually had a third order Franciscan who was coming into the church from the Anglican Mm -hmm. church, uh, which was super fascinating. Just an old guy who always carried around rosary beads with him and um, super simple dude. And she just had a great class. And um, so we get into 2020 and, and I remember I was actually, in California at a little evangelical gathering, um, I got off the plane and the um, Tesla driver said to me, uh, did you hear the news? Kobe Bryant died. I was actually in Santa Barbara. And so he pointed and he was like, it was three miles down this way. It happened while you're in the air. Um, well, and I remember just the the pall that that casts over the whole weekend, but I'm sitting with these people like contemplating life and death and they're all talking about these these big things, right, that they're going to do and and these big ideas mm-hmm. and these blah, 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 blah. And I just kept thinking like, life is so freaking short, man. Like we've got to embody this stuff. We we And so I shared with a, a group of them that we were becoming Catholic and a lot of them had a lot of the same questions that you had earlier. Like what is Amber going to do about women mm-hmm. in ministry and what about this and what about that? And, um, and finally it came down to this just idea that like we wanted the simplest – and this is what I told them. Like, we want the simplest embodiment of the faith. And they were mm. like, Catholic? How is that the simplest embodiment right. of the faith? And I'm like, it just is. That For yeah. me, it just is. It's all I can tell you. Um, so we were kind of on our way into the church, contemplating life, contemplating death. We were excited for um, this, this moment of becoming Catholic. We were in this class that was talking about creation care. Um, you know, through the lens of an encyclical written by Pope Francis. And mm-hmm. I remember that night, it was being led by a professor who was at our church. And, and um, she said, um, you know, this is how pandemics work. And she explained, you know, arithmetic versus um, like sort of these uh, exponential growth curves. And she said, this is an exponential growth curve. And within two weeks, we'll be shut down. Uh, Wait, what, when was we'll this? We'll have to shut down. What, what was the date? This was right before everything shut down. This like was this probably is February? Feb- February, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. And and so we're sitting here thinking, what the heck is that going to mean, right? So mm-hmm. she was right. She was prophetic. She nailed it. Uh, the world shut down. And our Easter vigil, the night that we were supposed to come into the church, was live streamed via Zoom. And the priest and one deacon were the only two people in the live stream. Yeah, And so we watched the fire be lit outside. We watched the candle be carried in and went through the whole thing. And then there was this, you know, awkward pregnant pause where we were supposed to be confirmed. Um, Hmm. And we just sat there on the couch grieving. Um, And not too long after that, I wrote an article for America Magazine about this very thing. I remember that. Yeah. And I just wrote like, you know, this is purgatory. Um, and so it was like this really like interesting space where as a Protestant who doesn't probably really, who wrestles with purgatory, I'll say that. Um, 
I'm all of a sudden wrestling with it in a very embodied and tangible way. This is no longer an idea. This is an idea that has come to manifest in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just really wrestled with that. So we write, I write this article for America. It's published. And literally the day I get word that it's going to be published, I get a call from Father Tyler, who's our priest. And he says, hey, we're going to, congratulations, we're going to start opening up confirmations and we'd like your family to be the first, the first family. And, um, and so we, I think it was in May, late May, uh, we officially uh, entered the church as a family. There were, I think at the time they were only letting, like it's a pretty big space, but they were only letting like a hundred people in and you had to sit all distanced and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we had to give a head count of, you know, who was going to come to watch. And then they would have to like block people at the door past that number. Um, So I think it was like a hundred or 150 people uh, were there. And we were very, very unceremoniously confirmed in front of the church, uh, you know, in the middle of COVID lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. And how were your boys about this whole thing? Um. Yeah. I mean, TBD, maybe. I don't know. Um, Fair enough. They, they, yeah. I mean, we, when we decided to come in, we were like, hey, let's do this like they did it in the early church. Yeah. Which is the whole, you know, fam families coming in together. Um, And, and I'm, I operate under no illusions that like the choice that we made as a family which included them is going to somehow like stick stick into their early adult years. I do believe in my heart that they'll always hold fast to it. I will say I've seen more, particularly my older two um, I've seen more spiritual hunger and embodiment than I had in previous years ever. Like there was, there was so much side eye going on in that five years of Anglicanism um, and I will say my older two, without giving specifics or asking very, very particular questions about theology, um, they are both committed to the scriptures in a way that I've never yep. seen. And they're also both boneheads who do stupid stuff. Of course. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, so there's a both in there, right? But yeah. it's a beautiful thing. I mean, as of today's date, I think that there's signs of spiritual growth that I hadn't seen before for sure. That's cool. Same with our clan. And so, yeah, maybe that's another topic we can unpack. What does it mean to bring your kids along for the ride spiritually? Uh, I was just thinking a few days ago, I brought my kids to confession and we were like, come on guys, we're going to confession. Like just not so much dragging, kicking and screaming, but just kind of told them this is what we're doing. And, you know, I told my 18 year old, you know, I, or I actually told all of them, you don't, I'm not going to force you to go, but it's good to go. You know why it's good to go. Let's go. And so yeah, sure enough, but yeah. I just said, all right, guys, I'm going in 10 minutes. They all just piled in the car and we all did it. And I just remember thinking like, how cool is this? I don't, I'm not in charge of their spiritual growth, but they get to go in and talk with someone and have their sins absolved, even though, I mean, through Jesus, we'll get it. We'll just say that for now. <laughs> and it's just cool. Like the matter matters thing, you know, they get to go and yeah, kneel, that's right. kneel and vocalize the stupid stuff they did and then be reminded that Jesus died on the cross for them. And then they get to yeah. feel much 
more accurately, you know, the truth about what that in their bodies. So yeah, yeah I'm yeah. with you. So yeah, let's talk about the kids yeah. stuff sometime soon. Um, yeah. I think we'll just have more to share, but that was a great, great kind of full circle of, you know, now you're Catholic, May 2020. Um, let's just keep talking when, when the next episode comes out. The Why is Seth Catholic yeah, part three? I love it. <laughs> I right. love it. All right. So uh, before we wrap this up, Seth, what's something adding more beauty to your days right now? Well, I am reading a book by uh, Bruce Chatwin. Do you know Bruce Chatwin? Surely. Mm-mm, I don't. Oh, I would have thought. I would have certainly thought you knew uh, huh. Bruce Chatwin. He is a he is kind of a travelogue. Oh extraordinaire sort of writer and he wrote a book called the song lines um which is sort of about his experience of australia ah nice and i'm doing this because um you know i'm running two series right now on my Substack. one is um this you know catholic journey experience that um you you should all come and read uh, but the other is this idea of craft. And it struck me the other day that what I'm really exploring in craft long-term, this is a long-term project. This is more explanation than you asked for. But what I'm really exploring is this idea of, um, it, well, it, well, it incorporates the idea of a travel log. And it struck me the other day that outside of uh, the editorial work that I've done, particularly with you, um, I'm not really a travel log writer. And so I'm just trying to really learn as much as I can. And man, this book is so, so good. Nice. So All right. The song lines, Bruce Chatwin. Uh, huh. Yeah. I would recommend everybody go grab it. That's cool. I love travel writing. I will have to look into it. And I know you do. And definitely you're damn good at it. Well, it's not easy, yeah. but um, that's cool. I'll look into it for sure. Yeah. So what are you reading, listening to, watching, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, that's bringing a little bit of beauty to your life? Uh, I am reading a book that I've uh, assigned to my kids, but uh, my students, but I've decided is good for all of us. It's called Learning the Good Life. And it came out last summer and it's just a collection of old stuff. So um, it's a really great hand. Like it starts off with Lao Tzu and Confucius and goes into Plato and St. Augustine and all these things all the way to the present day. The last entry is Wendell Berry, uh, Marilyn Robinson, David Foster Wallace, all these great. Holy crap. It's fantastic. It's just such a great. Yeah. Just excerpts of really good stuff. So like Yesterday in class, I read them out loud, the Manifesto Mad Liberation or Mad Farmer Liberation Front poem by Wendell Berry. And um, I was just reminded, this is such a great collection. So I think it's good, especially for those people. Just if you're in a season of busyness where you can't, you don't have time to read Plato's Republic, (laughs) but you want to know a little bit, like you want to know the greatest hit of that old piece of work. um, I would recommend this. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's just really good stuff from really smart people. So really like it. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, it's time to wrap this one up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drinkwithafriend.com, where you can also find how to support the show by picking up the next round of drinks. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, how about you? They can find me at sethhaines.substack.com. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. I'm Tish Oxenreiter with Seth Haynes, and we'll be back here with you again soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>